Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. On this Father's Day 2019, my subject today is bookends. In my office, I have many books. I am a book hoarder. It's hard for me to get rid of books. And after I read a book, I feel a connection to it. It doesn't even have to be a good book, which, by the way, my brother-in-law's is a good book. But it doesn't even have to be a good book. But I will feel a connection to it. Maybe, maybe it was because the book meant something to me. Maybe there's something within the content of that book that helped shape me or mold me. And so I, I can't get rid of that. I have a few books that have been signed by the author of that book. And so I don't want to get rid of those books. So I have a special place, a special shelf in my office behind my desk for those books that have been signed. Uh, maybe while reading the book, there's, uh, there's a sense of accomplishment that I actually made it all the way through that book. You know, like, woo, I made it through that book. You know, it's, maybe it's not that great, but, but I did it. I accomplished it. I started out reading it. And so I can't get rid of those books because, you know, it's trial and fire all by itself to read some books and I made it through it. Maybe there is something in that book that I highlighted that I don't want to forget and, and, and therefore I can't get rid of it. So I keep these books on shelves in my office. I have quite a few bookshelves in my office and most of the shelves are packed full, but there are a couple of these shelves that they still have some room on them. There, there's room for some other books. And, and, and so on these shelves, I have bookends to keep these books in place, to keep them from falling over. Because without the bookends, uh, they fall like dominoes. You know, it, it'll be the first one. And then the second one follows shortly after. And before you know it, all the books are leaning. And if that first one takes a hard enough fall, then sometimes you'll walk in your office and you'll find books laying on the floor because it, it, it shook the bookcase just enough. But not when you have these bookends. When the bookends are there, then they are stabilized. They are solid and, and they keep the books from falling down. The definition of bookend is a support for the end of a row of books to keep them upright, often one of a pair. For some of us in the room, our life started out solid. We had that bookend. We had that solid foundation on one end of our life. Some of us were born into a Christian home and we were raised in those standards. Our starting point was strong. And if you're like me, from day one, I've had a solid Christian foundation that is all that I have, I have known in my life. I was born into a pastor's home. All I know is a solid Christian foundation. And so some would say that I'm at an advantage because I have that bookend in my life. Yet there are others in this room that they did not have that same advantage. They, they were not born into a home that emphasized a relationship with Christ. There's many of you in here that you were not born into that home. Your parents didn't take you to church. You were not afforded the opportunity to learn God's word as a child. And so now you feel like you're playing catch up. When other people learned about Jesus and they learned about the Bible in Sunday school, you're playing catch up now, or at least you feel like you're playing catch up now because you're trying to gain all of that knowledge that someone else acquired at such a young age. And the enemy would have you believe that you are somehow at a disadvantage. 
that somehow because you don't have that same bookend that I have in my life or that some have in their lives, that somehow you are at a disadvantage. No matter which environment that you were born into, we all have the opportunity to book in the beginning of a new life with Jesus Christ. Everyone in this room has the same opportunity to book in a new life in Christ Jesus. And this is the core value of the Christian faith, that no matter how you got here, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so you may not have the pedigree that I have. You may not have the heritage that I have. You may not have the knowledge that I have, but no matter what, where you came into this thing that we call faith, you still have the same relationship with Jesus Christ that I have. You have been forgiven, and if you've called upon the name of the Lord, you have been saved. I'm reminded of Nicodemus, the the Pharisee that that came to Jesus under the cover of night in John chapter 3. In verse 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says, unless you're born again, you don't get to see the kingdom of God. And in true rabbinical fashion, Nicodemus begins asking questions because that's how they would teach the law to one another. They would ask questions. And the mind of this first century Jewish leader His mind was blown as Jesus was telling him about the foreign concept of rebirth. Think about it. If you've been coming to Destiny Community Church for any amount of time, you know the concept of rebirth, of regeneration. You know what it means to be saved. You know what it means to be born again. But to Nicodemus, this was so foreign. And so he begins to ask questions. In verse 4, Nicodemus said, he said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? These are good questions. If you've never been taught what it means to be born again, these are good questions. No one can fault Nicodemus for asking such a question. In verse 5, Jesus answered and he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So Jesus says, you you must be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And because of our rebirth in Jesus, there is not one person in this room that is at a disadvantage. Don't believe what the enemy has tried to sell you. That it doesn't matter where you came into the faith, you are not at a disadvantage. Just because you may not have the same book in at the beginning of life, you certainly have the same book in, book in at, at the rebirth of your life, at, at, at this chance for a second life in Christ Jesus. When we reach that place, we are all on level playing ground. There is not one person that is more important than the next person. It is level ground at the foot of the cross. Amen? I like how the Apostle Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How many of you agree with me today that the old you has passed away? Amen? The old you has passed away. The old me has passed away, and the new has come. It does not matter how life started for you. What matters 
is if a new life has begun for you. That's where we book in this thing. We start it there. At the moment that you ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life, that's where the bookend begins. And so with that being said, we know that we can all have a great bookend to start with at the rebirth of our lives. But that question still lingers is how will you book in the end of your life? How are you going to finish this thing? And though this message is for everyone in the room, I specifically want to speak to the men in the room today on this Father's Day. I want the men in the room to really, really just take note of what, I'm being, what, what is being said today and what I'm sharing with you. Because we all know that through rebirth, we have a good book in on that end. But how are we going to book in the end of our lives? When you were born, men, there were... There was so much mystery around your life on the day that you were born. Your parents were not sure what color your hair would end up being. Maybe you came out and you had, you, you ever seen those little boys that they have that, 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 that pretty, curly, blonde, almost toehead look to them? Pastor Andrew was like that. I've seen some of his baby pictures. He had pretty, curly, blonde hair. His mom and dad had no idea. You know, one day that hair changes. It could. It could change. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. When you're first born, nobody knows. You can be born with a head full of hair and end up with none. Nobody knows. That hair can change colors at any moment. You might be born with the most beautiful blue eyes, but they can end up brown or hazel or, or whatever other color that your eye may be, or eyes may be. Let's, let's hope. Nobody knew how tall that you would be. Nobody knew what your occupation would be. There was not one person on this planet on the day that you were born that could honestly say if you, could, if you would amount to anything. Your life was a mystery. There were people that had hopes. There were people that had dreams. But your life was a mystery on the day that you were born. Your life is a mystery at the beginning. But when you die, your life is not near as mysterious. When they stand before your casket and they eulogize you, your life is not nearly unknown as it was on the day that you were born because they will be able to see much more clearly who you turned out to be. It's kind of like this. It's, it's when a crop is harvested, when, when it, it's easy to see what, what diligence has produced, you know, uh, all of the plowing, all of the sowing, all of the weeding, all of the watering, all of that pays off when you see the fruit of your labor. Once that harvest comes forth, you understand that all of that work has paid off. In the same sense, when a life ends, we see the true fruit of our dreaming, of our planning, of our labor, and of our investment. That's what we see. So at the end of life, it's not near as much as a, a, as a mystery as it was at the beginning of your life. Now, there's this verse that has jumped out at me in recent months, and, and I'm holding on to this verse, and it is speaking to my life. It's prophetically speaking to my life, and I want to share this verse with you. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 8, and I want you to, to, to really just apply this to your life and what I'm trying to teach you today. It says... Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. I love how plain and simple Solomon puts it. The wisest man 
just, just lays it out there for us. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. Better is the end than the beginning. Trust me, the end of our construction project will be better than the beginning. Amen? Amen. Lord, please let the end of our construction project be better than the beginning. Because when God is involved, the end is always better than the beginning. That no matter where your start was, no matter how you came into this life, the end can be better than the beginning. And nobody knew this better than the Apostle Paul. I'm going to be reading out of Acts chapter 22 today. The Apostle Paul was standing before an angry Jewish mob. They did not like what he was preaching. They did not like the stance that he had taken with his life. And, and they did not like the propaganda that was coming from his mouth that was pushing the kingdom of God, that was, that was selling Jesus Christ to people that needed Jesus. And so in Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 16, we're going to read where Paul stands before this angry Jewish mob. And I want you to hear the story that he tells as he shares his testimony with these people. He begins in verse 1 by saying, Brothers and sisters, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, now listen, Paul is speaking their language. He knows exactly how to reach these people. He said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. And standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, and, and now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Paul, the persecutor of Christians. Paul admits to those, those Jewish leaders that are standing before him that he was carrying out the very instructions that they gave him. I went and I persecuted some of them, even unto death. I, I was responsible 
for persecuting Christians. But somehow Jesus got a hold of my life is what he was saying. I'm not the same man. I, I wasn't born into this thing, but, but somewhere along the way, uh, a bright light from heaven hit me and it changed my mind on who Jesus Christ is for my life. And now I am a changed man. Now understand this about Paul. Paul also declared, Paul was a very educated man. Paul studied at the feet of some of the greatest. Paul was a very educated man. He was trained by the best. But Paul is proof that you can gain all of the knowledge in the world between the bookends of life. But if you don't know Jesus, it's all in vain. You listen to me. I am not against education at all. But you can go out there and earn every degree that you can possibly earn on this planet. But if you don't have Jesus, it's all in vain. Men, listen to me. You can, you can remember and, and, and record in your mind every stat from your favorite ball team. You can know every touchdown the Gators have, have thrown. You, you can come up with all of the stats that you want to in life. But if you don't have Jesus, all of that is in vain. And I'm not against these things. God knows I'm not against these things. But sometimes, men, we've got to stand up and realize that our priority for life has to be how we end this thing. That I have to look at my life and, and I have to come to an understanding. Am I leaving any spiritual inheritance at all for my children? Men, I hope right now that the conviction of the Holy Spirit settles upon your heart and you can't walk out of this room without getting this right. Because I believe that we are responsible for leaving a spiritual inheritance for our children. And some of you are bankrupting your children before they ever have a chance to get started. And one day when you're gone, I don't want to, I, I don't want to have to pick up the pieces and try and lead your family spiritually because you refuse to do it now. Paul's life was redirected. Paul understood this. That the end of his life was better than the beginning of his life. Paul knew the testimony and the story that he had and, and where he had been in life and the awful things that he had done. But Paul gave glory to God and said, but that's not how my life is going to end. That Jesus Christ got a hold of my life the end of his life was better than the beginning, but not by the world's standards. It was by the, the kingdom of heaven's standards. Paul may not have had the riches that the world offered. He had that opportunity. He may not have had friends in high places like he once did, but Paul's life became an inheritance. When God is involved, the end is always better than the beginning. And, and you don't have to look any further than the bookends of the Bible, Genesis and Revelation. Because with God, the end is always greater than the beginning. In Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. In Revelation, God creates the new heaven and the new earth. In Genesis, the first man, Adam, is established on earth. In Revelation, the second man, Adam, is established in glory. In Genesis, sin brings sorrow and death. In Revelation, there are no more tears and there are no more pain. In Genesis, man is driven from God's face. But in Revelation, man beholds God's face. In Genesis, Satan appears for the first time. But in Revelation, Satan appears for the last time. Somebody say amen to that. 
In Genesis, Satan is not mentioned in the first two chapters of the Bible. In Revelation, he is not mentioned in the last two chapters of the Bible. In Genesis, there is a wife that is presented to Adam. But in Revelation, the bride of Christ is presented to the Son of God. You see, it always ends better with God than it begins. And with God, the end is always going to be better in your life. If you will allow him to book in the end of your life, your life is going to be better in the end than how it started. Your story may not have started out the way that you would have written it. Maybe for some of you that are new to the faith, Maybe you long for that, that understanding of the scriptures that some people seem to have. But when God gets finished, I promise you that there will not be a fairy tale on this planet that outshines your testimony. When God gets finished with you, there will not be one story out there that it is any greater than the resurrection power that he brought to your life. The end is always going to be better than the beginning. Today is a tough day for me. Because today at some point, later this afternoon, I'm going to drive over to Trenton, Florida to Ayers to visit with my father who is struggling with Alzheimer's. He will not know me at first. I always immediately walk up and I say, hey, Pop, it's your youngest son, Rocky. And if he gets it, if it registers at all, I will follow with and your best looking son. If he tries to argue at all, then I tell him, well, they tell me I look like you. Now, what do you think? After I tell him who I am, he may or may not get it. And if he does, it'll only last for a couple of minutes. And when I leave him today, I will shake my head in disbelief as I walk back to my car. Not understanding. not understanding why my father is in an assisted living facility struggling with a disease that is eating at his brain. And questions will go through my mind of God, why? He was such a good man. And he did so much for the kingdom of God. God, why? Why? Why him? Why does he have to go through this? And God will remind me that it rains on the just and the unjust. And God will remind me that this is temporal. And that there's coming a day when my father will be healed completely in glory. But God often humors me and lets me have a moment. This past week, I attended a, a state convention, a, a camp meeting, where ministers from all over the state gathered together. And on Tuesday night, I had the privilege to stand before that crowd and take up the offering. They always like to hear me take up the offering because when I get up and take up the offering, I'm the one of the few people in the room that can say that I've been to that event 
for 45 straight years, never missing a year. And since the day I was born, the year that I was born, my dad took his family to that, and I've never missed, missed a year. I've been at that convention for that many years. During that offering, I shared of my heritage and how my father created a love in my heart for that event. And created a love in my heart for the denomination that I'm licensed in. And afterwards, throughout the rest of the week, I had so many people that came up to me asking me about my dad. And they would walk up to me and they would say, hey, how's your dad doing? And I would have to tell them, dad's now in an assisted living facility. Dad's confined to a wheelchair. Dad has Alzheimer's. And testimony after testimony comes back and they tell me, things like this Rocky when I was first starting off in ministry your dad thought that it was important that I was important enough that he would he would leave a group of officials and he would come over just to say hello to me they would tell me things like your dad was the first one that ever gave me a place to preach he let me come in on a Sunday night and preach in his church and took up an offering for me some of them would come to me and they would tell me things like, Rocky, your father, he helped me. When I was struggling to pass my ministerial exam, your father helped me. He sat me down and, and walked me through it and, and, and made sure it made sense to me. And story after story throughout the rest of the week, I am so glad that I had to take up the offering at the beginning of the week so that throughout the entire week they could just remind me of how great my dad was. And if some of you are thinking, well, you've still got him, I do, I do, and today I'll hug his neck, and, 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 and if he's in the mood, I'll, I'll hear his voice. But anyone who's been through it, you know that Alzheimer's takes them long before they die. My father doesn't have much to leave me when he dies. My father is not a rich man by any means but I'm reminded of what Paul told young Timothy in Paul's last letter that he most likely was writing from prison but it was the last letter last recorded letter that we have from Paul before he dies and Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 1 through 2 he says Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy my beloved child. Now this was not his physical son. This was his spiritual son, but he loved him like a son. He said to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You go down to chapter 2 and verse 20. And Paul uses this illustration with Timothy. He says, now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Recently, we had some guests over to our house, and Mandy got out the, the, the nicer, the, the glasses. The, they're actually glass. She got those out and started putting ice in all the glasses, and that's what she was expecting everyone to drink out of. 
knowing that we were going to be there for a while, I didn't want to have to keep filling up my, my nice crystal glass. I don't know if it's crystal or not, but it, it, it's nice glass. And so just acting like company was not even there, I just walked over to the cabinet and grabbed my Yeti cup, filled it up with ice and water so that I can enjoy it for the rest of the evening. Now that is a dishonorable vessel, a dishonorable cup. It is not used for honorable purposes. And my wife just gave me that look, like, really? With guests here? And I felt like, well, you know, we're close enough to them. I don't, I don't have to try and put on a show right now. Paul stated to young Timothy, he said, it's possible for us to become like that crystal glass set aside for the master's honorable use. That you might not think that you amount to much, Timothy, but, but if you will allow God to recreate you, you can become that glass that is used for the master's honorable use. And towards the end of his letter, Paul writes this in chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says, Timothy, I'm, I'm old. I'm worn out. I'm tired. But don't weep for me. He says, because there's laid up for me this, this crown of righteousness. And when I receive my eternal reward, I'm going to receive that crown of righteousness from a righteous judge. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved and look forward to his appearing. How many of you are looking forward to the appearing of Jesus Christ? Amen. You see, for some of you, you, you the day you were born, you were never the apple of someone's eye. Not physically. But the moment that you were born, you were the apple of your heavenly father's eye. From the moment that you were conceived, he had plans for you. And the moment that you die, you want your life to be the fruit of his faithfulness. My life is bookended from the moment that I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, and I want to make sure that I bookend it with the fruit of his faithfulness in my life. Bookend. A support for the end to keep them upright. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.